0: Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. An evolved perspective on life with dogs. Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Great to be here today, as always. I have a great interview that I'm going to play in just a few minutes with Dr. Jean Dodds, who's the author of a book called The Canine Thyroid Epidemic. She also wrote a book called uh, Canine Nutrigenomics, which I've also interviewed her about on the show. Really, really interesting stuff. She's super smart, Um, and it's just really good to get kind of the story behind these ideas, like where, for example, around thyroid, if I say, you know hypothyroidism, which would be low thyroid, is actually more common in dogs than we may think. Well, what is that? What does that mean? And how does that impact them? And what we're going to talk about today is, you know, the different ways that uh, low thyroid can impact dogs. Um, In my work with dogs, you know, dog behavior and training, whenever I'm evaluating a dog, for a behavioral challenge one of the kind of categories that i look under is you know health medical is there something medical going on that could be causing them to behave the way that they are whether it's reactive behavior or aggressive behavior you know those can be medically based in some cases sometimes dogs can act aggressive if they're in pain for example um, low thyroid which is what we're going to be talking about today is uh, something that can cause dogs to be reactive um, or even aggressive. Um, it also has more sort of physical symptoms like chronic hot spots or um, chronic digestive upset, inflammatory bowel disease, chronic ear infections, um, even obesity can be related to a low thyroid. So I always love to dig into the science behind these types of things so that we can understand uh, really what's going on. And it's so important in this industry, and I think really in life in general, but, you know, for pet parents to be as educated as possible about what might be impacting their dog and their life, their life with their dog. Because there's, uh, it's it's not necessarily easy, I guess, to get, i think really good information there's so little regulation because it's pets you know so it's not like human medicine which which you know certainly is compromised in some ways as well as far as the 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 perspective that we have um but with dogs it's just less regulated i mean they're they're not like children as far as the law goes so it's kind of a free-for-all as far as what um, you know, industries are are allowed to do around dogs. Uh, what sort of chemicals, for example, are okay to use on pets versus children? Um, you know, flea medication, that kind of stuff is pretty questionable. But it's the dog, you know, they wouldn't get away with a lot of the stuff that they do if we were talking about children. So, so much of my intention is to really educate you guys and empower you so that when you're having a conversation with your veterinarian or whoever it might be, you know, you're uh, talking with um, somebody at a pet supply store about what kind of, what are the right choices for you in feeding your dog or whatever the, whatever the topic may be, I really want you to feel educated and empowered. And I've done so many shows over the years on all of these different topics that are so important to me. Everything from, you know, identifying good breeders versus ones that you might want to stay away from, um, with the dog merchants, Kim Cavan and and other shows. And, you know, I just really want to educate you guys as well as hopefully entertain. Um, I really, uh, I really love getting into the science of this stuff. And so I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Jean Dodds. And her book is called The Canine Thyroid Epidemic. And, um, it's just, just a lot to it. And again, you can't separate health from behavior. So if you have a dog who is acting a different way or started acting a way, you know, sort of developed a behavior and they never did it before, um, especially in older dogs, but, you know, thyroid, low thyroid can occur in dogs of all ages. Um, but just in general, you know, really having medical concerns on your radar, you know, work with your vet, make sure your dog isn't in pain or that there isn't anything internally off, you know, chemically like a, like a hypothyroid. And what Dr. Dodds is going to talk about is that there's specific ways to test for thyroid function in the body and that it's not just as simple as testing T4, which is just one blood level. Um, And then the other thing that I also recommend, I just want to say about testing your dog's thyroid is actually recommend getting the test twice if you can. Um, having having it through your vet and then having it also through Hemopet, uh, which is Dr. Dodd's website. And, um, you know, we'll have a link to that on our homepage and I'll be giving it out throughout the show as well. So that's hemopet.org. Um, but it's good to double check, especially if you don't think there was, if you're, you know, dog comes back negative and you're like, gosh, I really feel like maybe this thyroid thing is, you know, going on, get it tested again a different way. So with that said, enjoy my interview with the very brilliant Dr. Gene Dodds. We got a good one today, Eric. All right. I'd say that every week, but this one's a doozy where we've got Dr. Gene Dodds back with us on the show today. Welcome back to the show, Doctor Dodds. Hello. Hi. So I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. So I had you um, on the first time, and I have actually since run that uh, first interview that we did a few times because I believe it's one of the most important topics that I've talked about on the show, which was about rabies vaccinosis Mm -hmm. and your work with the Rabies Challenge Fund. And you can find out more information at rabieschallengefund.org. And I have Dr. Dodd's website links posted on our homepage as well, which is dogradioshow.com. That was episode 109 back in March of 2011. We're over 180 now episodes and Dr. Dodds is back with us talking about your book that you co-authored called The Canine Thyroid Epidemic: Answers You Need for Your Dog. And this is I think a must a must listen for anybody with a dog or anybody who works with dogs. You know Anybody in, in the dog world at all, this is an important one because as you use the word epidemic, Dr. Dodds, this is a, a very big and very important topic for people to get educated on. And unfortunately, Correct. which we'll talk about a little bit later in the interview, unfortunately, this is not something that we can generally rely on our vets to, to know about to this degree. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that detail and um, just when I get through this book, which is just loaded with information, and then you tell me you have another book coming out next year, which I'm thrilled about, uh, but that'll be another. I feel like I'm going back to school when I'm getting ready for an interview with you. <laughs> so um, so we're talking about the thyroid gland and uh, hypothyroidism, which is a, a deficiency or a thi- underactive thyroid gland. And what the, what the impact that has on the body and you, are, you have done work and you have developed a test to test the thyroid function in a way that hasn't been tested and interpreted, that hasn't been tested to date. And so first off, Dr. Dodds, will you tell us about what is the thyroid gland and what does it, you know, what does it do in the body?
1: Well, the thyroid gland is what we call a major master gland in in humans and animals, humans being a special form of animal. And um, it gets its messages from the pituitary gland in the head, which is the master gland. So there are actually two master glands with a third um, partial master gland. So the thyroid is the second master gland, and the third one is the hypothalamus. The three glands work together um, in a feedback way where they get messages from each other and they decide... What the body's going to do the hypothalamus works more with the adrenal gland and sex hormones whereas the pituitary and thyroid of course work on the metabolism all of all tissues in the body so the thyroid gland is told by the pituitary gland to either buck up or slow down and in doing so the thyroid gland will then regulate everything the functions of organs the functions of your food and you know metabolism Mm -hmm. the functions of your enzymes the functions of your nerves the functions (laughs) of every single Thing, even at the molecular level in the body is controlled by the pituitary-thyroid axis, we call it.
0: Mm-hmm. And will you define, I think when people hear metabolism, we think like, oh, how many calories am I burning? When you say on a cellular level and the, the metabolism of all tissues What do you mean by metabolism?
1: We're talking about the intake and and exhale of just functions, enzyme functions, um, nutritional energy, all cells require energy, and to do that, they need, "quotes" food or fuel, and that fuel comes into the body through a variety of, of mechanisms, including what we eat, and it then goes down through organs into tissues, into cells within the tissue, and they're fed, and when those cells are fed, they work the way they're intended to. It's
0: like putting your foot on the gas versus that's exactly it right, up, or guess. slowing down. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So fascinating. I mean, it blows my mind every time I talk about physiology, and then especially the endocrine system. I mean, it's the, the hormones are the intelligence of the body. I've heard they're the Correct. endocrine system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so the thyroid and the pituitary uh, together regulate metabolism of all tissues. Right. And so hypothyroid is an underactive hypo as opposed to hyper, which would be overactive. And uh, hyperthyroidism is not terribly common in dogs.
1: It's very unusual. It occurs with overdosing thyroid medication or with a thyroid tumor. Okay. Uh, which doesn't have to be cancer. It can be just an overactively growing um, thyroid gland. Okay. Whereas in the cat, the opposite is true.
0: Huh.
1: Older cats get hyperthyroidism, rarely become hypothyroid. So it just happens to be that the cat and the dog, if you lump them together, become a person. Because <laughs> people get both.
0: People get both. Lucky yeah. us. <laughs> um, okay, so what hap- Like, what is happening? So it's an underactive gland. So it's that it's not, Producing enough thyroid hormone? Correct. Okay.
1: of the primary hypothyroidism in dogs is caused by a heritable autoimmune disease called autoimmune thyroiditis. Um, It's also called Hashimoto's disease in humans after the first occurrence in Japan. It was most widely recognized in Japan after we did what we did to Japan. Mm. Uh, Or it's called lymphocytic thyroiditis, which means that special white blood cells, special lymphocytes within the white blood cells of the body are targeted to destroy the thyroid gland. And the targeting of the thyroid gland is based on the genetics of the individual animal or person.
0: Mm -hmm. So this 90% of hypothyroidism is caused by autoimmune thyroiditis, which is actually genetic.
1: It's a heritable trait, absolutely. Okay. So obviously, we don't want to breed animals that have that. And it's not only purebreds; it can be hybrid breeds, for example, where yeah. two different bloodline, two different breed lines, come to the table, or it can even be in mixed breeds, depending on what the mix is. Um, the other ten percent is what we call idiopathic, which I. Laugh and say is idiot pathology. We don't know what's causing it. Uh, thyroid atrophy, atrophy being the shrinking of the gland, and there's lots of things that can do that in in people. They say that idiopathic thyroid atrophy is just the more progressive stage of thyroiditis, but you could have theoretically some um, environmental or toxic or even marked nutritional imbalances that could cause an idiopathic hypothyroidism. For example, selenium deficiency.
0: Mm. Okay, so so the thyroid is underactive and it produces an insufficient amount of the thyroid hormone. And now there's a there's the T4 and T3 and the body converts T4 into T3
1: the body removes one iodine from t4 means four iodines t3 is three the when you take away an iodine with a with an enzyme called thyroid peroxidase which by the way can be blocked by soy um that t3 goes into cells but but that's not important those are the the reserves of the hormone the only hormone that has biological activity is the free we say not no charge, but unbound form of T4, which makes up 0.1% of the total so when you're measuring the total T4 in a test, which is what most veterinarians have been trained to do, you're not telling anything about how functional that thyroid is. You're just telling how much reserve there is in in the face of a need. Same thing with T3. The free T3, again, is a tiny fraction of the total. And the free unbound hormones, the free T3 and free T4, circulate in the blood, tell the pituitary glands sensor, it has a sensor in it, to stimulate or, or not stimulate the thyroid gland to make, either make more or make less thyroid. The critically important thing is that the fruit, the, the hormone you, you measure, but you can't tell how much of it's active, is bound to proteins, bound to albumin, the protein in the blood, bound to prealbumin, bound to thyroid binding proteins. And this can be displaced from the binding by certain drugs and chemicals. So there's lots of interactions that happen here that make it very complicated.
0: Okay. So there's T4 and T3, and that's the number of iodine molecules. Correct. Okay, and then there's free T4 and free T3. And,
1: and what makes important. Yeah. What
0: makes them free? They're not bound to any protein. Not bound to protein, and those right. are actually it's not
1: free. No charge, truly.
0: Right. <laughs> well, they're all no charge, right? But the um, but so no, I meant no charge
1: as in paying for it. Right. I know. Oh. oh.
0: The the free. Um, Unbound. Mm -hmm. Right. Unbound, T4, and T3 are actually the ones that are communicating with the pituitary gland.
1: Right. And they're ones that are biologically important. So when we're doing assays for thyroid function, it's critical that the free hormones be measured,
0: not just the total. Got it. Now, what has a T4 or T3 be bound? Actually, we're going to... So here's my question for the next break. Um, and then we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with Dr. Jean Dodds talking about her book, *The Canine Thyroid Epidemic*. Dr. Dodds, when we come back from break, um, I'd like to know what what has the T4 and T3 either be bound or not bound. What controls that? We'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Alternative Talk 1150. <laughs> Host at DogRadioShow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes. Host at DogRadioShow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. (laughs) Coming August 28th on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, author Denise Jaden returns with her latest book full of inspiration, tips, and tools. Busting the myth that you need a muse, Story Sparks illustrates how even those who think they're not creative can move past stuff and develop great ideas. Catch up on past shows at conversationslive.net and chat with Vicki on Twitter at Vicki St. Clair and Facebook at Conversations
1: Live with Vicki St. Clair.
0: Looking for an easy way to give your dog's food a boost in nutrition? Or maybe your dog has a sensitive digestive tract, itchy skin, or is just a picky eater. We've had such great success feeding St. John Creamery raw goat's milk to our pack, and I recommend it to my clients all the time. You can get raw goat's milk for your dog all over the country. But if you live in Western Washington, be sure at St. John Creamery you reach for in the freezer section of your local independent pet supply store. You can also pick up your milk at drop locations around the area. Visit stjohncreamery.com to learn more. That's stjohncreamery.com. Your dogs will love you for it. Wherever you go, Alternative Talk 1150 is here for you. And now back to the dog show with Julie Forbes. Back with the dog show with Julie Forbes. Uh, Eric Ryder is our booth engineer and program (laughs) coordinator here at KKNW. And Eric has a knack of finding some dog related song that's related to the topic. I don't suppose you could find a song about uh, thyroid, the thyroid (laughs) gland, at all.
1: This may be the greatest challenge. Not even dog related. (laughs) If
0: you can find a song about thyroid anything, I'll get you uh, some salmon treats for your cats.
1: Okay. Well, right. I, I'll accept that challenge. I'm not sure I can come through on right. this particular
0: one. Fair but enough. I will try. Okay. <laughs> we're back with Dr. Jean Dodds talking about her book, The Canine Thyroid Epidemic. And before the break, uh, I asked Dr. Dodds, we were talking about T4 versus T3 and free T4 versus free T3. And if you've missed any part of this show or any of our past over 180 episodes, you can find them all archived online, both on our website, dogradioshow.com. And you can also download us as a free audio podcast on iTunes. And you can also go back and find my first interview with Dr. Dodds, which was back in March of 2011. So if you're looking on the website, you'd want to scroll down to that date. You can find it also, um, especially on iTunes, under episode number 109. And that was my interview with do- Dr. Dodds talking about rabies vaccinosis. So my question, Dr. Dodds, is so we've got the free T4 and the free T3. And those are the ones that are actually able to, to do, do their job, so to speak, in the body or have, you know, able to communicate. So what has them be free?
1: Okay, well, they're free because they're... Not bound to the proteins that we described, thyroid binding proteins or albumin or pre albumin, and the body determines how much is going to be bound and how much is going to be free based on whether other things are displacing the binding. In other words, other drugs, other chemicals, other disease, inflammatory agents, and whatever. Now, thyroid peroxidase is the enzyme that is most uh, involved in converting T4 to T3, and it, there's a gene that, that controls its production. But the interesting thing thing um, in terms of disrupting thyroid peroxidase, I think I said at the beginning, is that soy, um, and particularly extracts of soy, soy Mm -hmm. isoflavones, are very, very um, involved in disrupting the ability of thyroid peroxidase to make this conversion, as would be cruciferous vegetables, for example, uh, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, kale, rutabaga, that kind of stuff. They, yeah. they can definitely do that. Yeah. Now, as far as the conversion of T4 and T3 is concerned, about 80% of that actually occurs in the liver, even though the enzyme comes from the thyroid gland. So the remaining 20% takes place in the kidneys, the spleen, the muscles, the skin, and even the central nervous system directly. So that tells us immediately if there's something wrong with the liver, you're going to have a major problem with deiodination Mm. and the ability of T3 to be produced to help the tissues. And also, uh, in a minor sense, if there's anything wrong with the kidney, spleen, muscle, skin, or central nervous system, you're going to have a change in the availability of T3 and, therefore, the availability to the tissues of the metabolic regulators for all the functions of those tissues.
0: Right. It's like one thing gets thrown off and everything gets affected. Right. Which is but just, the liver
1: is very important yeah. because of its major role. OK.
0: And so you're talking about the importance of so we've in the first segment, we were talking about the thyroid gland, its role in the body, uh, how the hormones um, sort of behave and how they need to be in a certain form uh, in order to. To really work, otherwise they're just there, and like you, you refer to it as like a reserve. So they're there, they're ready, but they're not gonna uh, do anything until they're called upon, so to speak. That's correct. Okay. By so, the
1: way, iodine is a critical thing here. I haven't mentioned. I think everybody knows that we have iodized salt because, yeah. of in areas of the country and the world, there's not enough uh, iodine. Iodine deficiency promotes hypothyroidism, but iodine excess promotes hyperthyroidism in cats Mm. and thyroid autoantibody production in dogs. So there's many, many trace nutrients that we need in the body for normal thyroid function, even manganese, for example, and zinc. And if we overdo it, we're doing the opposite of what we intend. So we have to be very careful here. In New Zealand, as a country, the soil is selenium deficient. So when they're feeding farm animals or domestic animals or, or companion animals, they've got to be careful with the amount of selenium that's in the food.
0: Very, very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Now, this is the... And you have a, a book coming out next year uh, talking about nutrition and... Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, nutri Well, nutrigenomics. Um, so, basically, functional foods for different individuals. Can't wait for Correct. that one. Good. Okay. So, what is the... So, we've been talking about the the thyroid gland, the function, and the hormones. And so... What are the Okay, so you're, this is the title of the book is the Canine Thyroid Epidemic. So we're saying there's a large percentage of the population that of dogs who are hypothyroid and are going untreated. Um either because they're just not being tested for it or because they are being tested for it but the test itself or the reading of the results is insufficient. So what are some of the main sort of characteristic symptoms of hypothyroid? If someone is uh-huh. like, oh, I have a dog that has some challenges, whether it be behavioral or uh, healthfully, you know, physical physically. What are some of the main ones that you see sort of like, oh, every time? Like if I was like, oh, I have a dog that's this, this, and this, you'd be like, test its thyroid.
1: Okay. The, the first thing to say, Julia, it's very important because most veterinarians do not do that. It isn't until 70% or more of the thyroid gland has been damaged that you see the classical signs that they've been taught to look for, would be fat, lazy, bad hair coat, hate the cold. Hmm. You have to go from zero full function to 70% before you see the fat, lazy, bad hair coat hates the cold. Hmm. In between, and that can take a year and a half to two years once this process is started. Okay. It, it, they don't wake up overnight and become hypothyroid. Right. So the progression between health and thyroid dysfunction is gradual, and the first things you'll often see are behavioral, and they can be subtle. They can also be signs that are not required for life. In other words, as the thyroid starts to be damaged, the things that go first, you can live without, for example, scenting, hearing, that kind of stuff. Mm. Um gastrointestinal disease inflammatory bowel disease or leaky gut everybody says oh well that's a a food allergy. It probably isn't. It might be a food sensitivity or intolerance, which is what our second book is going to address. Right. But That's much a whole other that, book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Much of it is promoted by thyroid dysfunction because thyroid dysfunction controls the white blood cells that deal with inflammation and detoxification in the body. Mm. So you can have behavioral primes. You can have easy weight gain. Honestly, I don't feed my dog too much, Dr. Smith. Well, Dr. Smith doesn't believe it because they know the dog's getting pizza and spaghetti and whatever and we've even had people guilelessly say well my dog won't eat well except for human food well right. that doesn't count right. so often it's it's a idiopathic obesity and it can be just subtle weight gain that then becomes you know within 10 months 10 or 12 pounds more than what the dog used to weigh mm. and they're usually two to five years of age so that would be typical chronic ears chronic urinary tract infections chronic feet yeasty hot spots um flyaway coat a sticky uppy coat um dental tartar things that just aren't right and then eventually before you get the classical end stage signs you'll see a sad tragic expression mm. the animals have lethargy they're blah they've got tension fatigue they just feel terrible and some of them are irritable and they'll they'll attack other dogs in the household or people even
0: i uh-huh.
1: am provoked because they're saying leave me alone i feel terrible why don't you find out what's wrong with me
0: right yep gosh it's just like I mean I my work here is in training and behavior and mm-hmm. I see I'm always looking at I mean the more that I do this work the more I learn about health and yeah, sure. you know the science behind all, you know all of these things the impact of food I mean I've been on the pet food industry for 10 years now mm-hmm. you know just sort of learning about it and the more I learn about it the more maddened I get but uh <laughs>
1: But, Julie, why did this epidemic happen? Because we've had the genetic predisposition. The animals have been line-bred and inbred to fix type for years. Mm -hmm. Um, And everything was fine until we screwed up our environment. We depleted the ozone layer. We used too many crop sprays. We over-vaccinate. We give drugs at the drop of a hat. We feed foods that aren't balanced because they're marketed by the huge pet food industry, um, some of which is excellent, some of which can be problematic, Mm -hmm. um, as as we all know. And so... And and then when the pet goes to the veterinarian and the veterinarian and the, the owner says or companion caregiver says, My dog isn't right, like ADR ain't doing right. Um, when they go into the office they're not behaving normally because they're uptight and they don't look the same way as they do at home. Right. And people foolishly like we do when we go to see the doctor, is they gave the dog a bath. You know, just so that it looked okay. Right. Um, and that might not tell you what the odor of the dog's tissues are, what the skin and hair coat really are like. I mean, yeah. you don't bring it in filthy, but you don't just bathe it the day before. Right.
0: Well, and then they, and then even once there, oftentimes it's the, you know, the answer is prescription diets and stuff like that. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, so you said, uh, I had just a couple questions just to back up a little bit. Now you said this could be, Because this is a genetic, this has a very, very strong genetic tie, Mm -hmm. but you also said that it doesn't just occur occur in purebred dogs, that you're seeing this in mixed breeds as well. Is it more so purebred dogs or is it just everybody now?
1: You know, we can't answer that question. The purebred dog people say no. The mixed breed dog people say yes. The thing is, you can only look at the statistics of the dogs that you see in a clinic to get the blood out of. So you might argue that some people, certainly in rural areas on farms and stuff, have dogs of mixed breeding or maybe, you know, herding or whatever. They don't do the kinds of testing that's needed because the animals seem healthy, so they don't do it. In our statistics that we've shown for behavioral, for example, with Dr. Dodman at Tufts, we would say two thirds of the animals are purebred and the rest are mixed. Okay. Now that doesn't really tell us, but we can only look at the database. Sure. I would say it's most likely purebreds and hybrid breeds like the golden doodles and labradoodles and yeah. schnoodles and
0: but not <laughs> like the Heinz fifty sevens. Not yeah. not as and much like
1: the breed de jour. Right. We have designer breed jour that become popular too quickly yeah. and they're they're bred when they shouldn't be and we have yeah. all kinds of problems with that. Oh, yeah. As we do with the animals that win best in show at Westminster all of a sudden everybody wants a boxer, you know. Right. right. Um which is and the boxer breed has been in bad shape because of that and it's yeah. not the fault of the people that have the excellent boxers.
0: Right. And that's a, i mean historically any time a breed becomes a uh purebred dogs and then like half and half mixed breeds are probably more prone to it than a dog that's like, you know.
1: Yeah, I would say two-thirds and the two-thirds would include the hybrid breeds and then the other third are going to be mixed breeds. But some of them you can identify the mix. I mean, we know what they are.
0: Right. Okay. And then you also said two to five years of age. Right. So this isn't, uh, when I was first learning how to train 10 years ago, I was fortunately taught about a lot of medical conditions that can impact behavior, thyroid being one of them. And back then I was taught it was more so five years and older that you start to see this.
1: We actually see thyroiditis uh, around puberty. The youngest case we ever had was a golden retriever at seven months. When the animals are entering puberty because of the sex hormonal change if they're not already spayed or neutered you're affecting these three controlling organs right the pituitary the thyroid and the hypothalamus so we can see that and so many um, young dogs even before two have have the early thyroiditis forms but the the typical hypothyroidism you know the 70 percent or more damaged would be two to five these days it's definitely younger than it's been for a long time
0: okay All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a few minutes talking more with Dr. Gene Dodds, co author of The Canine Thyroid Epidemic. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Alternative Talk 1150. Host at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes. Host at dogradioshow.com. I look forward to connecting.
1: Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to the Ananda Institute of Living Yoga, we cover the world of animals. This week, August 27th, it's an Encore Vet Sunday with Dr. Bill Burlingame. Dr. Bill is the expert on animal and human immune system support as well as Pleckner syndrome. This show has great information about both, including some miraculous healing stories. Listen again or especially if you missed it. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150.
0: There's a reason they invented the Internet. It's called 1150KKNW.com. And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. 2,500 micrograms of IOD, but only 75 will do. Color, you store the rest, and that's why I love you. You then make almost meet three and
1: four. Less potent, so you make more you I died using today which couples tyrosine, an amazing way. Thyroid,
0: I love you Iris. welcome back to the dog show with Julie Forbes this is radio so you can't see me <laughs> shaking my fist at Eric right now he found a thyroid song so now That's I it. owe him some salmon treats for his cat which I am happy to provide because I know yeah, they yeah. love them yes they do yes. Well done, Eric. You have uh, you. Uh, avoided defeat once again. <laughs> we'll get you someday. someday. Maybe, maybe Dr. Dodd's book on nutrigenomics will get you. That's a tough one. <laughs> I don't know that there's any nutrigenomics. Songs yeah, out well, there. I doubt it. You no, know, <laughs> not yet. Anyway. Yeah, well, Eric, you're a, mu- you're a musician, so you know you come up with one within the next year. I could do it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're back with Dr. Jean Dodd's talking about her book, The Canine Thyroid Epidemic. Talking about hypothyroidism and autoimmune thyroiditis and all that good stuff, and it's such important information. There's so much to know, and unfortunately, uh, this is something that really is that you are really bringing out into sort of the into the conversation and in, in the in the industry because it's not something that most people can go to their vet and they're their regular vet is not going to know about the information that's in this book. So if you've missed any part of this show or any of our other episodes, you can find them all archived online at our website, dogradioshow.com. Just go to the podcast page and it'll be the top on the list because it'll be the most recent one as we are live today. And you can also find all of our past shows too. You can scroll down and I do recommend... You know, listening to them all, of course, but especially finding Dr. Dodd's first interview here on The Dog Show, which was back in March of 2011. It's number 109, episode number 109, talking about rabies vaccinosis, another extremely important topic for every dog owner to be educated about. Um, So we've been talking about the thyroid gland, its role in the body, um, T3, T4, the testing, and um you know common symptoms so dr dodds will you run that list again of common symptoms because this is a place where people can really you know as people are just listening to this interview and then oh my gosh my dog ha-, you know my dog has three or four of those <laughs> and that might that's really what will have people connect to what we're talking about is if they see it in their own dog
1: correct and I give seminars all the time. I gave one in Phoenix this last weekend when it was 115. But, um... Most of the people there were just aghast when they saw all the examples of photographs of lesions that they assumed were something else. Right. So the first thing that can happen when it starts is a behavioral change. The animal will not immediately change, but it can be erratic. In other words, a perfectly sociable animal one day doesn't want to be messed with or is irritable or just seems blah and doesn't have a sparkle in its eye and doesn't interact. And then they can start... Um, Reacting adversely to people they know that come to the home, barking incessantly, hiding, um, you know, like, I don't want to see this person. I don't know who it is. And we're not talking about old animals that have illnesses that make them unable to see. We're talking about young animals. Yeah. Then it can progress to something subtle, like chronic ear infections or Mm -hmm. chronic foot infections or chronic urinary tract infections. How many times my dog has had four urinary tract infections recently. They all resolve with antibiotic, but there's something metabolically wrong with the body that allows these infections to keep coming back. Yeah. You can have hot spots, you can have sticky uppie hair coat, you can have dry seborrhea like um, flaky dry skin that's very itchy um, along the top line especially the tail head, under the arms, in the groins. You can have slight pigment changes almost like um, tiny brown circular spots that appear not raised but within the skin, a discoloration. You can have oily skin You know, you have to bathe the animal more often. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you'll get fat, lazy, hair comes out, you know, rat tail, patchy hair loss on both sides, um, and then, uh, you know, overweight. And so the weight gain can be subtle. It can be, if you're a middle-aged Labrador, you can have idiopathic obesity, which is normal for them. But many Labradors that are middle-aged are also hypothyroid, so you have to determine whether that's the cause. Mm -hmm. And the weight creeps up, just like it does in us, but these are not old dogs. Mm -hmm. They're not being overfed physical examination say there's nothing wrong with the dog except you're feeding it too much or you've got a hot spot and you know here take this antibiotic or take this steroid shot and it'll go away Mm -hmm. if they insist that they do a wellness profile they'll typically just do a t4 a total t4 which is a package that most of the commercial labs offer as a special discounted you know wellness uh, price and then if the t4 is low they'll recommend adding on one more test you just do hunt and peck that does not diagnose anything properly. Mm-hmm. We just had a lady who breeds excellent purebred basenjis, some of which are African bloodlines, mm. and she drove all the way two hours and 45 minutes to come here because she downloaded the test request forms from Hemopet. She asked her local veterinarian, whom I know, to please draw the sample so she can send it to us for the testing, and they refused. Yeah. They said, our laboratory does these tests. We don't need that autoantibody test. Mm-hmm. well, she's not going to breed them without the autoantibody test because mm-hmm. she's doing the right thing. Right. And she's doing genetic screening for the Fanconi syndrome that Basenjis have. Yeah. And she just got in the car and drove down here. She said, I'm not going to argue with them anymore. And she went to two veterinarians, both of whom I know, yeah. not criticizing them. They don't understand.
0: Yeah. Now, I had uh, an experience with a client of mine, um, not quite as bad as that, but where I got um, called and and sort of questioned and pressured into sending, I mean, the whole, the dog was getting its thyroid test because of me and because I told her to do it because he had so many symptoms. And I had to basically stand up to this vet who was trying to pressure her to send it to another lab because that was the gold standard and had been for years. And I was just like, no, send it to this one.
1: That gold standard lab, by the way, has been doing it just as long as we have. So we are an equally gold standard lab, and we're the only ones that do breed and age-specific interpretive comments. So Mm -hmm. why would you think a Yorkie has the metabolism of a Newfie, for example?
0: Right. They don't.
1: So obviously the metabolic needs of a Yorkie are much higher because they eat more calories to to sustain them. They're much more active little dogs than a Newfie, and you wouldn't want a Newfie with the energy of a Yorkie. You'd be in big trouble.
0: No, you don't. You
1: would not. (laughs) So obviously why, and there's nothing wrong with that other gold standard laboratory and how they do the test, they do it very well. But what ends up happening is the client then has to send it to me to have me interpret it because they have to overrule their local veterinarian who was told by that lab it was within the large reference range. Okay. So I end up being put in the middle saying, no, this is what it should be for whatever breed mm-hmm. and age, and this is what we recommend and whatever. And mm-hmm. sometimes or most times the veterinarians will concur, but sometimes they won't. And so the client has to go to another veterinarian.
0: Yeah. Why, it's the, silly. why the resistance? Why? I don't, I don't
1: know. I think maybe some people have never heard of me after 50 years. That seems odd. Other times they say, well, we have a special uh, contract with the lab we use. We uh-huh. have to use them. And that's not the gold standard lab because yeah. they're non-profit. They, they don't have contracts. They have volume discounts. Mm-hmm. So if many people said, I don't want the thyroids to go to the lab, the commercial lab, I want it to go to Dr. Dodd's, they're going to lose their volume and lose their discount, which, by the way, is not usually passed on to the client. Right, As you can understand. I mean, I'm not criticizing the way veterinarians have to survive today because the economy is terrible for us, too. But still, that's the reason. And so you walk away, you find a holistic veterinarian. Usually what I end up doing is telling the people to go on the holistic association, ahvma.org. Go find a veterinarian, scroll down on your state, and it lists all the veterinarians that are happen to be members. There are others, of course, that are appropriate yeah. that are not members, and then pick one of those because yep. they're not going to argue with, with, with them.
0: Right. And this is not something currently that's being taught. This information in your book is not being passed on to vet students at this point.
1: No, it's not, unfortunately, and most graduates don't have it, and even some veterinary endocrinologists that are in- experts in other areas of endocrinology are not up to date. It's very frustrating. I mean, I have a colleague in Long Island who's an outstanding endocrinologist. That's two colleagues, actually, one in New York City, one in Long Island. that are trying to teach all their CE about doing it properly. And interesting enough, on the veterinary internal medicine list recently, which I'm not a member of that club, um, the head of internal medicine at a major veterinary teaching hospital said, I only trust Hemopet for my thyroid interpretations. Nobody else can do it appropriately. Mm-hmm. And so I got a huge amount of kudos from people that are members that told me about this. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to break into it as as the gold standard lab. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the co- larger commercial labs are threatened by this because it takes away a significant amount of their cachet, not necessarily their bottom line income.
0: Right. Right.
1: You know, they're in business. It's tough to, to break in into.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's their yeah. job. And it's big business. Yeah. yeah. We are with Dr. Gene Dodds, co-author of The Canine Thyroid Epidemic. We've been talking about hypothyroidism in dogs and how uh, common it is now and how much younger the dogs are now showing signs of this and how important it is to get this tested and how important it is to get it Tested properly and to get the results read properly. You can find out all the information you need about how to get your dog's thyroid tested through Dr. Dodd's lab Hemopet by going to hemopet.org. And all of the information is on the website. It's very easy to do. And even my first time doing it, I felt a little bit intimidated because it's like blood. I'm supposed to send blood like you know, I wasn't, I just didn't have the confidence of having done something before, but it really, you just do what they tell you to do. It's really that simple. And send it to the lab, and you get your comfort, you overnight it, and you get your confirmation that it's been received. I mean, all of the communication, Dr. Dodds, from your lab was very, very prompt, which was great. It was like, got your blood sample, and then usually it was within a day or two that we then got the results. So it's really a very fast process. It's not like you have to wait weeks for it. Um, hemopet.org is Dr. Dodd's website uh, for all of that thyroid information and more.
1: Julie, just to interrupt for a sec, yeah. sorry. The blood does not have, The serum, once it's separated, does not have to come overnight unless you're doing whole blood counts. It can take 10 days to come. So U.S. priority mail with a cold pack in this weather and a little paper padding is fine. And our results are always completed in 24 to 48 hours. We are the fastest with professional interpretation.
0: Yeah, you guys are very fast. So if it's just the serum? Yes. Yes. But if it's the blood and the serum?
1: Yeah, it can come two-day priority mail with a cold pack is okay, or overnight. Okay. Some people have, overnight is so expensive it, it, it's an issue, although our nonprofit prices mean it's much less costly than it would be to have your veterinarian send it to a commercial lab. Yeah,
0: it's very affordable for such a major blood test. Correct. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's hemopet.org. We've been talking about hypothyroidism in dogs, more common than you would think, and a very, this is a very important topic, so if you're just tuning in, I highly recommend that you listen to this show, um, and also my other interview with Dr. Dodds back in March of last year, number 109. Um, You can find them archived on our website, dogradioshow.com, and you can also find us as a free download on iTunes as an audio podcast. Just search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes and you'll find us. You can also find us on Facebook as well and Dr. Dodd's efforts on Facebook too. So this is, okay, you said, um, you mentioned something that I just wanted to ask, you know, the importance of uh, uh, the impact of food. And you have another book coming out about that. So I look forward to that conversation very much. Anyone who's listened to the show knows I talk about pet food all the time. Um, You mentioned grain-free. And if it's, um, what if it is, uh, because this struck me, because we're feeding uh, this one dog that we had tested who came back normal. Um, He's on a dehydrated food. It's a very, very, it's a great food. Um, But it does have quinoa in it. And I'm wondering if, if I should really get him on a grain, total grain-free.
1: No, the dehydrated foods are excellent. Quinoa, millet, uh, even barley. I mean, we have our NutriScan um, saliva test for food sensitivity and intolerance that has those foods on there. When we say grain-free, we really mean gluten-free, which would be no corn, no wheat, no soy.
0: Okay. Those ones um, that now, you want anim-
1: Yeah, some animals are reacting to oatmeal, for example, and they bathe the animal in an oatmeal shampoo. right. But you won't know that unless when you do a bath, the animal gets really itchy. You can sort of twig on that. Huh. And millet and quinoa are excellent sources of protein. Um, you, you know, so would buckwheat, for example, you know, okay. be different. you know. Okay. Buckwheat is not wheat.
0: Right. So it is those those three that people yeah. really should stay right. away from anyway, corn yeah, wheat and soy. Yeah, I should have said
1: gluten-free, excuse me. But we always okay. use this term grain-free when it really isn't
0: right. fat. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. Okay, so uh, thyroid, uh, now let's see. So they're in your book. Uh, The book is just, uh, this is all so fascinating. I um, I have a degree in animal science from the University of Vermont. So this is bringing me back to all of my nutrition and chemistry classes learning about this level. I mean, learning about physiology on this level. It is just amazing how complex it is. Um, There are, it says in your book, uh, the book is called The Canine Thyroid Epidemic. If you're wanting to really get solidly educated on this as a a professional in the industry or as uh, an owner, uh, as a dog owner, um, I highly recommend reading this book, The Canine Thyroid Epidemic. Dr. Gene Dodds, you list the breeds that there do, do seem to be some breeds that are more prone to this. Mm-hmm. And you say that the English setter is number one, uh, correct. 43%. Right. What are some of the other breeds that um, very commonly have uh, thyroid issues?
1: You mean thyroiditis? Um, Cockers, uh, Goldens, uh, Shelties, Maltese, um, Gordon setters, Irish setters, uh, even Pitbulls, Beagles, mm-hmm. um Dachshunds. Oh, I can go on and on. Um, a lot of the sighthound breeds, of course greyhounds, um spinoni Italianos, um uh, uh Alaskan kleekeye, mm. Nova Scotia Tolling retrievers. I'm just trying to think. Um
0: Giant Schnauzer.
1: Giant schnauzer, English Springer Spaniel, um I mean you can go on and on and on. There's the top hundred list and the numbers, the ranking changes. A little bit from you know quarter to quarter and whatever but English setters have the distinction of being number one forever which is really horrific because I used to raise them
0: oh yeah yeah sheep French bulldogs
1: are coming up boxers are a mess right now
0: yeah
1: they really are
0: it's just so sad to see that um yep. you know just from from the breeding I mean the dog just doesn't have a fair shot I mean right. you know you and like you said earlier in the interview this is a 90 percent, 90 percent of these cases are a genetically inherited autoimmune right. condition. So and then we go and add insult to injury with all of the the environmental toxins, the food, uh, the big brand pet food um, over vaccination, which is another interview that I that we have did a while ago on uh, rabies vaccinosis, which we have unfortunately had. Uh, direct experience with by the way Dr. Dodds Remy the German Shepherd who you helped us with Mm -hmm. is doing very very well now oh thank god she's a little um, she almost acts autistic Mm -hmm. like she's definitely mentally changed Mm -hmm. but she's health wise very robust it was a long road but I don't know that we would have been able to pull her out of that without your guidance so oh great yeah, she's doing real well. She's lives. Yeah, I
1: forgot Irish Water Spaniel. I mean, I could go on and on. German Shepherds. I can go on and on with yeah. the list.
0: Yeah. Um, do you have a sense for what percentage of dogs in general have hypothyroidism?
1: I would say it's probably forty percent across the board. Really? Yeah, it's very high. Mm. I mean, we can, I didn't even mention Basenji's, you know, I I got an English, um, I mean, an American Cocker Spaniel party color came to me, four years of age, they spent $2,000, the dog has the most gorgeous coat and skin, drop dead beautiful ears and everything, Mm. whatever, but Mm -hmm. she's idiopathically fat, and she should be 18 pounds, and she's 24 pounds, Uh nobody did a complete thyroid profile, they did a T4, we did it, her thyroglobulin autoantibody was 221, when it should be less than 10.
0: Wow, poor thing. (laughs) Poor Excuse thing. Yeah, yeah,
1: so but we solved the problem. Only with yeah. if that it could have been done two years ago. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: And yeah. there's a lot of dogs that never get the test or you know, right. that, that never get to that point, never get the help that they need.
1: No veterinarian, ninety nine point nine percent of veterinarians seeing that dog would think she
0: had a thyroid problem. Right. Yeah. By looking at her. <laughs> yeah. Well, but we we, we are out of time. Uh, time always flies on the show, especially when talking with Dr. Dodds. I just think you're so brilliant, and I think that the work that you're doing is so important. And I thank you for that. Thank Do- you. Her book is the Canine Thyroid Epidemic. I can't wait for your new book next year, Nutrigenomics, uh, talking about food. One of my favorite topics. Dr. Dodds' website is hemopet.org. Be sure to check it out. And thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Alternative Talk 1150. You've been listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk 1150 a.m. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud.